a few months ago, my daughter Izzy, who's four years old, and my wife Maddie, they got home from the store, and being a good mom like my wife is, she asked Izzy, Izzy, do you have to go potty? And she said, no. And she got really busy just going right into playing with her Barbies. And then about three minutes later, as Maddie was getting things situated around the house, she hears a toilet flush. And she's like, Izzy, did you just go potty? She's like, yeah. And Maddie's like, did you not have to go three minutes ago when I asked you? And she's like, a little bit. (laughs) So is that like a medium lie? Or, (laughs) and it's it's so cute because she's, at four years old, she's learning and distinguishing, you know, what is a lie and what's not. But not only that, what's a big lie? What's a small lie? And even according to her, the new category, what's a medium lie? Which is so cute as a four-year-old. She's, she's learning about this. But I think that this isn't just for toddlers either. There was a study done at the University of Massachusetts about 15 years ago where they pulled people in the room and they had them have a 10-minute conversation. In that 10-minute conversation... There's 60% of the people told a lie. And these were adults. Not only that, but it goes farther. In this study, during those 10 minutes of conversation, of the 60% of the people who told a lie, the average was two and a half lies per person. In 10 minutes of conversation. This is shocking to me because I think as, as we talk about lying, we often think, oh, this is what we teach our kids to do. But this is something that us as adults struggle with. I mean, husbands in the room, I'm going I'm to test you for a moment. Right? Your wife comes to you, and she's got two outfits. And she says, honey, which one do you like better on me? Which one looks better? What's the answer? Yes. Who said both? There you go, Joel. Both is the correct answer. But let's be honest. And I'm going to, this is now going to kill me going forward. We all have an opinion. There is an answer in there, but safety at that point, I think, is the utmost importance. So we have to consider that as we're talking to our wives. But this isn't just a problem with with toddlers. It's not just a problem with our, our young kids. Honestly, lying is a problem for many of us. Many of us, as, as the study says, 60% of us. And I, I would gather to think it's more than that. And so here's what I want to say right away as we get going. Christians, whether it's big lies, small lies, or medium lies, Christians need to be people of the truth. We need to be people who are full of the truth. Not only full of the truth of the Bible, not only full of the truth of the gospel, but full of the truth of the things that we do every single day. Lying is not a Christian thing because of the God that we have. We need to be people who are full of the truth. And there's many reasons for this, I think, and we can get into a few of them. The first one that I often think of is, we don't lie. We always tell the truth because Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, which is absolutely true. I mean, it is a basic form of love and respect for all people, everybody, your neighbor, if you just tell them the truth. And if Jesus said, hey, one of the greatest commandments that you have, if you want to follow me, is to love your neighbor as yourself. We don't lie because we love our neighbor and we respect our neighbor. We also don't lie because we know that everything will eventually come to light. Even Jesus said this, everything that is in the dark will come to light eventually. And many of us, we know this. We've told lies before, but maybe 10 minutes later or even a year later or whenever it is, your lie comes back to haunt you. What's in the dark comes to light. And there's a very practical reason for this. Because when you lie, there's a ripple effect. You often have to tell more lies to cover up for your first lie. But not only that, I want to give you a, a little bit of a brain buster. 
If God is outside, if he exists, he's outside of time and space. You know, we have our world, we have our universe, we have creation. Everything within this universe is created. If God wasn't created, but he's always been, he has to exist outside of time and space. Stay with me, okay? (laughs) And if God exists outside of time and space, and he's created everything in this world, and truth is absolute, meaning two plus two actually means four. It can't mean five. Not only does it not mean five, it can't mean five. It has to mean four. That means absolute truth exists. And what that means is, part of the foundation of our existence is that truth exists. So when you lie, you're going against the fabric of reality. You're going against the grain of what actually is. And when that happens, the world just doesn't really work anymore. In other words, your lie is going to get found out, whether it's 10 years later, a year later, or maybe even on judgment day for you. But everything that is in the dark is eventually brought to light. And so we have two basic reasons. We don't lie because love and respect for our neighbor. And we don't lie because if we do, it's going to come back to haunt us eventually. But honestly, as as adults or as teenagers in the room, I think if we talk about lying, these are the two things that we can think of in the first five minutes of why we don't lie. I think these are the simple answers. They're biblical and they're good. But I think there's a depth to lying that we have to understand that can actually change our hearts and our attitudes towards lying. And so let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 if you have your Bible. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 27, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says this. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned in Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is where he gets very blunt. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, what Paul is talking about here is he's writing this letter. This is called Ephesians. He's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. It's this ancient city. And he's talking to them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a world that is full of ungodliness and unrighteousness, which has no relation to the time we're living in at all. Joking, right? We live in a world that is not much different from the world that Paul and Jesus even lived in. It was full of lies, full of deception, full of unholiness. And so Paul is writing this letter of how do you live as a Christian in a world that is so desperately broken? And his answer is don't live as the Gentiles do. Now, I want to be very clear here. I'm a Gentile. Many of you sitting in the room today are are a Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. 
Now, Paul is not saying that all Gentiles are full of sin and wickedness and deception. He's using them as a metaphor because in this church that he's speaking to, it was full of Jewish Christians, and this town was full of a small pocket of Jewish Christians, but there's a huge population of Gentiles, not only in the city, but that were coming into the church. And what they knew about these Gentiles was that they were, they were practicing pagan religions and idolatry. And so Paul isn't saying, hey, all Gentiles are bad. What he's saying is that look at the people around you, and you see the Gentiles that are practicing this witchcraft and this paganism. Look at them. They're full of lies, lust, and deception. Look at them, and here's how I want you to live. And what he's saying is take off your old self and put on the new self that was created to be like Christ. That's Paul's answer. And what he's referring to is every single person, if we are a believer in Jesus, we have a life that we lived before we knew Jesus. And we have a life that we now live in Christ. And if you're like many of us, you look at who you were before you knew Jesus, before you became a Christian, and you can barely even recognize yourself. The problem for many of us, though, is that that old self oftentimes creeps into our new life that is with Jesus. And this is what's happening to these Christians, these Jewish Christians in this church. And Paul is saying, remember to throw off that old self. You're not who you used to be. You're created new, created to be like God in his image. So remember daily, put this into practice. Keep yourselves before each other, the Christian community. Keep yourselves before the word of God and let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And what he's speaking against, the specific sins, are lust and deception. Two very common sins that when they infiltrate our hearts, they can completely destroy our lives. But what I want you to hear about this too is that the Apostle Paul is not just telling them, don't lie because this isn't what Christians do. And it's more than just loving your neighbor, although it is that. It's more than just, hey, you'll probably get found out eventually, although it is that. But it's also much more than just, hey, you know what, we're good people, we're trying to all be a good people, you know, live a good life and just so we can get to heaven. Let's just be good, moral, upstanding people because that's what we do. If this is our goal, to be moral people, so then just don't lie, I just want to be very blunt. We're missing the point of what church and following Jesus is all about because moralism isn't the answer. Although it is good to be a moral person, and the Bible is full of here is how to be a moral person, the point isn't just to be a moral person. The point is to reflect the very image of God that you were created to do. Paul says in this verse, he says, you were created to be like God. If you've studied the Bible for a while, that language might be very familiar to you. That's because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when God is created, creating human beings, he says, let us create human beings in our own image. And he's speaking about the Trinity. That's why he says our. But he says, let us create human beings in our own image. And then he says, created to be like us. In other words, when Paul tells us not to lie, he's not just saying, hey, I want you to be better people. He's actually connecting it to our very creation and who we were meant to be in the first place. And what it means to reflect God's image is that, you know, when you think of, when you think of old or even today, there's like communist governments. What do they often have? Big statues of who the leader is. I went to the country of Jordan, which isn't a communist nation. They have a king, 
I went to the country of Jordan back in 2012, and we were crossing the border from Israel into Jordan, going through customs, because we were going to go to Petra, which is an amazing place, and we're sitting in this massive room, and there's about 10 of us, and we're the only people in the room, along with the customs agent. And then this giant portrait, about 10 feet wide and 20 feet tall, of their king. And it is zoomed in on his face. And it is almost as if he is in the room. It's this creepy, like, weird feeling, like, geez, this guy is right here. But this is often what monarchs or even communist leaders do. They build statues or they make these huge portraits, and they're very visible for the whole town to see so that you're reminded who the leader is. And this was a very common practice back in Jesus' time and in Paul's time. The kings back then, they would erect these statues and these huge temples, and it was supposed to reflect their own power and their majesty and their glory. And so when God says, you were created in my image, what we're connecting that to and what that actually means is that God doesn't have a big statue or a big temple that we all go and we worship at. We don't fall at the knees of a statue of Jesus and worship him there. What he's saying is that we are like that statue of God. We bear God's image. This is why the the Bible in the New Testament says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We were created to reflect God, not in one place where we all come to worship, but everywhere that we go. And so Paul is saying, we don't lie, not just because it's love for neighbor, not just because it's going to come out in the truth in the end anyways, but we don't lie because you were created in the image of God, created to be like him. In other words, when we tell the truth, We are reflecting God's glory and his image to the rest of the world. When we don't tell the truth and when we lie, we do the opposite. We distort who God is. We distort the image that was implanted on our hearts. So we not only destroy the image of God in our own lives, but we destroy it for other people to see. And this is where it gets very personal. You know, we are, we've been a recovery church for a long time. We have a lot of people who have been through recovery, a lot of recovering addicts, which it's an amazing, this amazing thing to see what God has done over the past 18 or so years that we've been in existence. But as we've worked with people in, in recovery, and I have people in recovery in my own family, there's often a quality that comes from people who are trying to work out their addictions. Or people who are trapped in their addictions, and oftentimes it's lying. I remember back when, I mean, I wasn't a full-on addict, but I remember back when I used to pretty much every day after school go smoke weed with my friends and drink on the weekends and everything like that. I would come home smelling like weed, and my mom would be looking in my bloodshot eyes and be like, welcome home, honey. What'd you do? And I'm like, nothing. (laughs) That's when the lies start. And many of us who have, who have backgrounds of being, of being addicts, many times the quality that comes with being an addict is that you have to lie to everybody around you and relationships get fractured, divorces happen, you're estranged from your family because your whole life is beginning to be built off lies in order to cover your tracks of what you're actually doing. And many of us are victims of these lies. Talk to a lot of people in our church over the past few years who are victims of whether it's sexual, physical, or verbal abuse. Talk to a lot of people who've lived with perfectionist mothers and they've felt like they could never measure up to the standard that their mother had for them. 
Talk to a lot of people who have fathers who, who just worked so much because they wanted to provide for their family, but that meant they were very distant and rarely ever home and never at a game or a concert. And so these people are now trying to earn the love and the approval of their dad. And what this is all based off are lies. It makes us feel unlovable, unwanted, unwhatever. And we're building our entire identity off a lie, and there's a ripple effect, and our relationships get fractured. And what happens is oftentimes when we, when we lie like this, we are destroying the image of God in us and the image that, God, that other people have of God. And what I mean by that is oftentimes if you have, if you have a father wound, one of the most difficult things to ever comprehend is that God is your, is your heavenly father. If you have an earthly father who failed you or who lied to you, one of the most difficult things to comprehend is that you have a heavenly father who loves you. If you have a mother who was a perfectionist or maybe didn't say I love you enough or whatever, and you feel like you have to earn your mother's approval or you have to live up to some sort of standard, one of the most difficult things to understand is that God loves you deeply and intimately. This is why lying and telling the truth, this is why it's so important to tell the truth. We're distorting the image of God, not only in our own lives, but we're distorting the image of God for for other people. And what happens is that there's a ripple effect and there's fractured relationships, not only with people, but with God as well. And so here's what I want to call us to do. To not only tell the truth, and we all know that that is the application for today, go tell the truth, but do we realize what we're doing with that? When you properly reflect God's image, you are breaking the cycle of lies in your family and in your own life. And as Christians, that's what we are called to do, to bring the truth and break the cycle of lies so that we can properly reflect the image of God so that people can see God for who he truly is, a God of truth. Not only the God who created truth, not only the God who makes two plus two equals four, but the God of truth who brings salvation to us. And so here is where I want to go today. Here's where I, what I want you to leave with. There's two applications where we need to stop telling lies as Paul tells us. The first one is, and I know this is going to sound very dumb, because you're like, oh, you're just going to tell me to read my Bible and pray? Yes. <laughs> there, you can all go home, pay your tithe dollars, go home and pray, right? No. This is crucial, because when, when we get up every day, we spend time in the Word. We spend time in prayer. And I'm talking about unhurried time with Jesus, You're reading the Bible, you're sitting with Jesus in prayer, you're coming to church, you're in a Christian community, like some sort of small group or something like that. What you're doing is you're filling your life consistently with truth. And if you find yourself in a pattern of lies, you need to ask yourself bluntly, have I had enough truth in my life? Am I consistently filling my life with truth? And how we do that is by daily practical things like reading the Bible, sitting in prayer, coming to church, and being in a Christian community. If you're not doing that, it is no wonder why you're struggling with lying because you're not getting enough of the truth. But the second thing is this. If we want to renew our thoughts and our attitudes as Paul tells us to, if we want to put off that old self and live in that new self, it starts with believing in the gospel. 
going back to the basics, remembering why you became a Christian in the first place. I would venture to believe that nobody in this room became a Christian because you were so excited about just being a moral person. You were so excited to follow the rules. If that's you, I'll pray for you. (laughs) Why do we become a Christian? Not because we were excited to follow the rules, but because we received grace. Because we broke all the rules. Every single one of us, you might not struggle with lying that much, but you've told a lie at some point in your life. Which, what does that make you? A liar. It's funny, I don't run at all, hardly ever, uh, except for once, on, once a week on Tuesdays in the summer, I play church softball. I consider that my workout. <laughs> a couple of days ago, I was a little stressed out with work, very tired because our seven-month-old is rarely sleeping. I just felt like my mind was in a fog. I'm like, Maddie, I'm going for a run. She was like, what? <laughs> Who are you? What's that? Are you okay? <laughs> it was funny. She kept asking me. I'm like, I'm fine. Just need to go for a run. I ran for seven and a half minutes. <laughs> Went three quarters of a mile and felt great. And she's like, but you're not a runner. I'm like, ah, but I ran. So I'm a runner. It's the same thing with lying. Lie once and you're a liar. And what our lies are is they are are things that, there are penalties, they're against the law. God is a judge. We're destined for hell because we're a liar. But because of the love of God, sending his son Jesus, and this is where I want to get very theological, he imputed, (laughs) look that up, he imputed, he put on your lies onto Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus died, your lies went with him. And when Jesus resurrected, he resurrected free, overcoming sin, hell, the grave, and your lies, and my lies. And if we put our faith in him, we're free. We are set free. That's the gospel. It's not about, I just got to stop lying. Yes, stop lying. But we stop lying because we're so motivated by the grace and the love of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers every single lie you've ever told. So if you're sitting here, and and you're feeling guilty, or you're feeling shamed because because you've told a lie, and you're like, oh, geez, I, you know, I'm an adult. I shouldn't be telling lies. I'm so frustrated with myself. I want to read you a quote as we end today. Author Rob Reimer says this, We cannot overcome that which we will not admit. Light is a gift. It's not an intrusion. When we understand the gospel, that we are free from the punishment and from the wrath of God, and now we can go to heaven and be with him, because he's forgiven us, we don't need to fear other people. We can freely confess the lies that we've told because if God forgives us, a punishment from a man cannot be worse than a punishment from God. And if I'm free from God's wrath, I don't fear any man anymore. I'm going to confess every time I tell a lie because the gospel has freed me. The blood of Jesus has freed you. It covers you. So I don't want you walking out of here feeling so guilty because you're part of that 60% of that study that says they told a lie. I want you to walk out here empowered and in freedom 
but you also need to do the work. And so during this last song that we close with in worship, whether you choose to sing or you choose to just sit and reflect about what we talked about today, I want you to think about, and I want you to ask God, what Pastor Bill preached last week, ask God to search you and to know you. And if there's a lie that you've told recently, or maybe there's a big lie that you told 10 years ago that still affects you today, whatever it is, I want you to sit and let God search you, see if there's any lies in you. And I want you to walk out of here and I want you to confess to whoever you need to confess to that you told a lie. You might still face some consequences, but that's okay. Because you've been freed from the consequence of hell because of Jesus. Nothing can be worse. Go out there as a person of conviction, a person of integrity, and a person full of the Holy Spirit because you believe in the gospel. Jesus has freed you. Let's walk in the spirit, walk in the power, and walk in truth because of what Jesus did for you. Let's pray. God, we come before you as people who are oftentimes full of lies. But God, I pray that we can remember the truth of the gospel. Lord, that you died for us in our place. You took our sins on the cross and freed us from them by your resurrection. God, we aren't people who live in shame anymore or guilt anymore. Lord, we live by conviction. When your Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins and of our lies, we don't sit and sulk in our shame and our guilt. Lord, we move forward as people empowered by grace. And so, Lord, I pray that every single one of us, if we have a lie in our life right now, that we can walk out of here empowered by your Holy Spirit to go confess that lie and make things right as people full of conviction. God, we stand before you And we are so thankful that the blood of Jesus covers every lie and every sin we've committed. And as a response, God, we're going to worship you with everything that we have. It's in your name I pray. Amen.